Welcome back to Wake Up New York, a Sunrise NYC podcast, the show that highlights NYC-specific politics, policy, and the road towards a Green New Deal. I'm your host, Paola. And I'm Jenna. Last episode, we dove into the world of pipelines. We spoke with a group of experts to learn exactly what pipelines are, who they impact, and to get up to speed on current events. We then talked about the political and social change levers we have at our disposal. This week, we want to zoom into our own backyard and talk about a pipeline development project in New York, the North Brooklyn, or NBK, pipeline. We'll then talk about the economics of infrastructure and how the funding for these projects impact New Yorkers. Finally, we'll talk about how you can get involved in the fight against pipelines and how this fight is so critical to combating the climate crisis. To support this discussion, we'll hear again from Molly Taft, who reports for the environmental news outlet Earther. Joy Braun, who is the National Pipelines Campaign Organizer with the Indigenous Environmental Network, and Vasaf Sen, the Climate Justice Project Director at the Institute of Policy Studies. We'll also hear from two new experts, New York State Senator Julia Salazar from the 18th District and J.K. Canepa, who is the Rockaway Outreach Coordinator for the SANE Energy Project. Let's dive right in with New York State Senator Julia Salazar to learn more about the North Brooklyn Pipeline. Senator Salazar represents the 18th District, which covers North Brooklyn, including Bushwick, Cypress Hills, Greenpoint, Williamsburg, and parts of Bedford-Stuyvesant. Yes. So in Brooklyn, um, and specifically in uh, the neighborhoods that I represent, National Grid is currently expanding a massive fracked gas transmission pipeline. Um, it's not a replacement of leaking pipelines, for example. Um, it is an expansion of this frack gas pipeline that is dangerous. Um, it is fossil fuel infrastructure, which we really shouldn't be expanding or building at this point. We know better. Um, and uh, as a state, we've made a commitment to transition to 100% renewable energy. Um, and, and what that really means is we should not be expanding fossil fuel infrastructure. They've been constructing and expanding this pipeline since 2017 um, in Brownsville, and they've um, been able to continue the construction through our communities. Ultimately, what National Grid is trying to do is um, complete this pipeline all the way up in Greenpoint in northern Brooklyn, um, where uh, National Grid has, has a plant um, and is and is seeking to um, build a new facility um, in order to you know maximize the their use of this pipeline. National Grid is a London-based electricity and gas supplier that serves major cities in the U.S. Northeast. In 2017, National Grid launched a seven-mile expansion effort through North Brooklyn, which they named the Metropolitan Natural Gas Reliability Project. The project's goal, as stated by National Grid, is to improve Brooklyn's natural gas system by increasing the system's safety, reliability, and operational flexibility. We know, however, that this is not truly an effort to improve reliability, but rather an initiative to maintain our dependence on fossil fuels when we desperately need to be transitioning away from them. The first six miles of pipelines have already been completed in the first four phases of construction. The fifth phase is currently on pause due to the successful efforts of local climate activists, including J.K. Knepa from St. Energy Project. 
But to understand those efforts, we need to better understand the history of pipelines in New York City, as well as the communities and coalitions that have formed to oppose them. J.K. Canepa of Sane Energy helped give us some of this context. This is not the first major pipeline to come to New York City. The first big fight took place in, I think it was 2011, I'm guessing. Um, There was a pipeline being laid from Bayonne, New Jersey, and passed through Staten Island into the west side of Manhattan, down near, actually near the High Line, um, to go under the brand new Whitney Museum downtown and under Hudson River Park and plug into Con Edison's grid. So that's around below 14th Street on the west side of Manhattan. So um, there's a playground there and lots and lots and lots of people. So the, um, the big push was to stop that project. It wasn't successful. Bloomberg was our mayor and he was, for all his climate talk and um, all, all of his um, concern about people's drinking too much soda and smoking and all that, um, he was big, big time invested in, in gas. And whether he believed it or not, he thought that he said that he thought that gas was the bridge to the future, that we needed to have this, what he considered clean fuel, um, until we can get to the shining city on the hill. So that pipeline went through. More recently, National Grid sought to build the Williams Pipeline, which would have carried fracked natural gas from Pennsylvania through New Jersey before connecting to an existing pipeline in Long Island. But then along came this massive pipeline plan to go through three states from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, all the way through New Jersey, scooting right past Albert Einstein's house and into the Raritan and past within a mile of the south shore of Staten Island, rushing along the coast of Coney Island and into that Rockaway Lateral plugging in about two miles offshore. So that was a tremendous battle. And after three years of relentless organizing and and rallying and getting elected officials on board and 15,000 comments, petition signatures, um, letters, um, and badgering and badgering the reluctant politicians, we won. Clearly, pipeline activism involved numerous stakeholders. We'll talk about how you can get involved later in the show. In the meantime, we want to shift gears and focus on the role of state and local policy. Both the Williams Pipeline and the NBK Pipeline are particularly frustrating because fracked gas is banned in New York as of 2017. Unfortunately, former Governor Cuomo's ban is less than absolute. New York is still importing fracked shale gas from Pennsylvania. The loophole is that if the fracked gas is not produced in New York, it's fair game for consumption. In addition to the ban, New York City recently published a list of stringent fossil fuel goals called 1NYC, and the state passed the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, or CLCPA, in 2019, which requires the state to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 85% by 2050. In 2019, the 
state passed this historic groundbreaking act called the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. And it sets these standards, these benchmarks that are really, um, they are leading the country, like uh, the reduction of uh, fossil fuel um, emissions, the transfer to clean electricity. Both the ban on fracked gas and the CLCPA are a part of a broader mission to transition New York into a climate leader. We spoke to Molly Taft, who told us exactly how National Grid was able to circumvent this initiative. One of the reasons this pipeline was able to sort of get through, kind of, it kind of wiggled around some of the requirements. So, you know, Cuomo banned fracked gas in New York City in 2015, but the, the pipeline is actually not carrying fracked gas from New York, so it like kind of doesn't count. And, you know, a lot of the project's plans were approved by the city before the climate legislation got passed. So I I actually don't know what it will look like if a fossil fuel company is going to try to propose a similar piece of infrastructure in New York like now. I do think that that's kind of like the next test. Another reason why this pipeline development is unusual is that it began with little to no publicity. J.K. from CN Energy told us about the atmosphere at the onset of development. While we were celebrating, we found out that the only customer for that pipeline, National Grid, was already starting a project to build a pipeline through Brooklyn and hadn't informed the community they were required to do so. I don't know what they considered informing the community, but no, none of the storekeepers, none of the PTAs, none of the parents, none of the residents, Nobody in NYCHA, nobody knew anything about this project until it was pretty well underway. There were five phases, and they had already laid the pipe from Brownsville to, they were in the process of putting pipe in Bushwick. So they'd gone through Brownsville and Bedsty and Bushwick um, when it was discovered what they were up to. It's particularly troubling to learn that those most impacted by the North Brooklyn pipeline were largely unaware of its existence until recently. Communities in and around the pipeline's path had no idea it had been greenlit in 2016 and were suddenly at home witnessing its construction and the growing protest movement against it. 90 individuals and organizations, including Sane Energy, participated in the rate case negotiations in 2019 compared to just 34 in 2016. As we learned in our last episode, pipeline development can have enormous environmental and social implications. Unfortunately, this particular development goes even further and will hit the wallets of everyday citizens, making the people impacted by those environmental and social consequences pay for it. They are seeking to make ratepayers or people who, all of us who um, pay energy bills, they're trying to make us, uh, they're trying to leave us with the bill. They're trying to make us pay for the costs of this pipeline um, by going to the state, the Public Service Commission, and asking for a rate increase. 
The approved rate hike will raise gas bills for 1.9 million downstate National Grid consumers. In total, National Grid will charge these customers nearly $130 million to cover the cost of building the first four sections of the pipeline, which it has completed and are now in service. Stunningly, National Grid began development before even having the funding in place. They didn't get permission to get reimbursed to pay to, to lay this pipeline. They were just so confident that they would, as business it always works out for them, that they would get reimbursed on our backs. So people would have to pay through their bills. And they were absolutely sure of themselves. So how does a rate hike happen? A core piece of any rate hike is something called a rate case. A rate case is a formal legal proceeding that takes place where a utility provider, like National Grid, which is essentially a legal monopoly sanctioned by the government, can propose utility price increases before a utility regulator, such as the New York Department of Public Service. Though it's typically uncommon, communities can participate in rate cases to push back against potential rate hikes. Seen Energy was involved in the NBK rate case. Several of us and, and community folks joined a rate case. This is pretty unheard of, too. These rate cases are deadly boring and complicated and arcane, and the language is just uh, impossible. Several people joined as parties to a rate case that National Grid had put forth to pay for this thing. So all, all of a sudden, there are scores of people taking part in these secret arrangements, this, this rate case, um, <clears throat> that just knocked the whole system off their chairs. They, <clears throat> they didn't know what was coming at them. While National Grid's rate case was passed by the New York Public Service Commission, all is not lost. Local institutions have an important role in stopping pipeline expansion efforts. The fire department in this case uh, could deny, outright come out and deny the variance to truck the liquefied natural gas. Um, de Blasio could have done a lot more and his um, sustainability uh, office could have done something more than just giving us lip service um, of course, Cuomo and the Department of Environmental Conservation, um, they had the uh, obligation to say that this pipeline, uh, the air emissions from this pipeline are, are toxic and over the limit and could not fulfill the CLCPA. Actually, that's the basis of that lawsuit. Um, so those are the major policymakers. In addition, there are other ways that our communities can fight back against pipeline expansion efforts through legal action. Folks who live in, in Williamsburg and Greenpoint um, joined Sane Energy Project in, in this lawsuit. There are other lawsuits floating around, um, but this one I think is like most relevant to stopping national grids efforts to um, expand this, this pipeline. They also, so National Grid is constructing this liquefied natural gas plant in, in Greenpoint um, and, a, and a, a station where they would um, load and unload the, the natural gas. That is what this lawsuit is fighting against. So trying to, to stop the construction of the plant and any related construction activities at 
the, their Greenpoint Energy Energy Center, uh, which violate state legislation, and you know are are really part of this greater effort by the utility company to continue to do things as as they've done them, rather than um, transition to renewable energy. Finally, there is an active rate strike underway, which is a refusal to pay the portion of the bill as a means of retaliation. This represents a refusal to be complicit in funding pipeline expansions. We've declared a strike, a rate strike. It's not an unheard of tactic. It was done in 1981 against Con Edison, and the people won. They back, Con Ed had to back down and retract its, its rate increase, even though the state had approved it. While National Grid claims to have engaged community members throughout the development, many community leaders don't see it that way. As we mentioned, the final phase of the project has been suspended, due in part to the efforts of local communities. To that end, we want to spend a little time helping you understand how to get involved. The first thing I would recommend to everyone is um, who, who may not already be familiar with this fight is to go to no NBK, as in North Brooklyn, noNBKpipeline.org. Um, there are all kinds of ways to get involved. Right now, there is a gas bill strike. It's important to recognize that while the rate strikers are extremely unlikely to result in a lower credit score or gas cutoffs, we encourage you to visit the NoNBK strike FAQ online to understand what participation means. Beyond the rate strike, there are several organizations at the forefront of this effort. There is a really um, powerful, inspiring coalition, the No North Brooklyn Pipeline Coalition, that includes um, community-based organizations from all over Brooklyn um, and in the neighborhoods that are most impacted by the pipeline, um, from Brownsville to Greenpoint, Williamsburg, Bushwick, Bed-Stuy. Um, and they've been organizing against this pipeline for the past few years that National Grid has been seeking to, to expand it. Sasha, Maya, and Nikki, Sunrisers who we heard from in our last episode, remind us that ultimately this fight is bigger than just one pipeline and it connects to everything else we are fighting for. The fight is never over. There's always action we can take with the pipeline. Even if even if it gets built, we can stop it before oil flows. Even if oil flows, we can stop it any time. So um, any, any time that we can stop it, it's worth stopping. And like all that we can save is worth protecting and defending. So um, the fight continues. The tactics may change and battle is okay. And the... Um, that's just how movements evolve, especially just thinking about like um, following the lead of indigenous activists. Like they're like hundreds of years of work and we're just becoming part of it now as like, you know, younger people and remembering that the fight's not just going to end with one win or one person. Yeah. This fight really links back to so many systemic issues that we're facing in this country. And it really is part of a huge 
you know, bigger issue of ongoing settler colonialism, of runaway capitalism, of, you know, so many different issues that we are facing as a country. And so this feels like it is a, a large example of the change that we need to be seeing of, you know, stopping new fossil fuel infrastructure, respecting indigenous sovereignty, protecting the water, protecting the land, protecting the climate. Um, and so this fight is, is important. And we also want to, you know, tie it back into those larger transformational conversations and make sure that, you know, it is not just this one pipeline and then, you know, indigenous issues are solved. There's so many other things that we need to be tackling alongside of it. And these conversations are, are particularly important, you know, at this juncture, especially for our generation as we, you know, are also facing a climate catastrophe and we're doing everything we can to change the system as it is. Um, and so as we try to enact that change, I think uh, really grounding it in, um, you know, solidarity with indigenous led movements and, um, you know, movements for, abolition for liberation, all those sorts of things is just so important at this point. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, like you're socially conscious and probably involved in movements, but now is the time we have to be showing up. We have to be showing up for our communities and for our land and the water. I mean, there's been a drought in Minnesota and Minnesota is supposed to be water secure, right? Like there's, while there are hurricanes in the South, right? Like we have to show up for, to protect our climate. We have to show up for indigenous sovereignty. So yeah, go out in your communities and um, fight for fight for them. Frontline communities must be centered in the fights against fossil fuel infrastructure. We must follow their lead. As Joy Braun explained, there's a deep link between indigenous rights and environmental justice. To that end, Joy explained how to be an effective ally to indigenous communities. When it comes to allyship, the biggest thing to remember is, is to be respectful. And you don't have to speak or say something all the time. I, I go into a lot of spaces and a lot of allies get so moved. It's okay to be moved. But they get so moved that all of a sudden they open up and we end up with their whole life story. This isn't your space to do that. We have too much work to do. It's okay to do that, to do self-care. In fact, you'll come back as a stronger warrior if you do that. And if you're moved to open up like that, it just means that your spirit is awakening. You don't have to talk all the time. Sometimes it's important just to listen. Uh, give the space to the people who are on the front lines. Because I guarantee whatever hurt that you're working through is nothing compared to the hurt that they are facing on the everyday. Absolutely nothing. So give that space to them. And if you can do those things and be respectful and deal with those things and, and, be, and, and be generous and kind, oh my God, kindness goes a long way, then, then we'll make it. Now, treaties are the supreme law of the land under Article 6, Section 2 of the Constitution. And we need to remember that we have treaty rights and we have aboriginal rights to the land that we, that we are on. Look up whose land you're on. Look up American Indian Movement. Look up, look up our right, the Indian Religious Freedom Act of 1978. There's, there's, Heck, go read the Constitution. How many people have read the Constitution? 
How many of you have all read the Declaration of Independence? Did you know they call us merciless Indian savages in the Declaration of Independence? Oh, I'm proud to be a merciless Indian savage. You bet your buns I'm proud of that. I'll wear it on a t-shirt. I'll beat it on a medallion. I'm proud of being a merciless Indian savage. You can call me savage any day. I don't care. I wear that with a badge. While there are numerous legal and social barriers to successful pipeline activism, there is some room for optimism. I've been pretty heartened. I I think that I've seen a lot of people share um, information and, and infographics on Instagram on Line 3 that I would have been very surprised if they'd known about it even just two or three years ago. I think, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and folks just thinking about racial justice in a more, in both a more like wide branching, but also like daily actions way has really helped people understand, um, especially when there's such a clear connection between pipelines and communities of color. Um, And then even just in terms of, again, just more pipelines happening in more places is is letting folks ask a lot of questions about like, oh, okay, so what is this thing that's going in and like what's happening and and why are we building, you know, aren't we supposed to not be using as much fossil fuel as before? So I I think that the conversation around pipelines, um, I think more people, I am very heartened to see more people start to get involved. Thank you for listening to Wake Up New York, a Sunrise NYC podcast. I'm your host, Paula Sanchez. And I'm Jenna Tapaldo. Thank you to our guests, Julia Salazar, Jakey Kanepa, Molly Taft, Joy Braun, and Basav Sen. We produced this episode with Frankie James Albin, Natalie Bartfay, Hillary McDonald, Julie Edgar, Valerie Goetz, Nikki Luna Paz, Paula Sanchez, Sophie Hasen, and Ritvik Vazudevan. To learn more about Sunrise NYC, visit us online at sunrise-nyc.org. And you can learn more about the No North Brooklyn Pipeline fight at www.nobkpipeline.org and the Line 3 fight, as well as to donate bail funds at www.linktr.ee backslash Stop line three.